My message for today is moving forward in an age of weariness. Moving forward in an age of weariness. And what I want to do uh, before we get into the message is I want to go ahead and read the primary text that we're learning from today. And that is found in Exodus 14, verses 10 through 15. And so starting in verse 10, we read, As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? This is a bit of a joke because during this time there were plentiful graves in Egypt. It was one of the markers of their society. So, bit of humor. What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. In verse 13, but Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. And this is where I find our title for today, moving forward in an age of weariness. I believe we're in an age of weariness. We're worn down. Individual situations, but collectively as humanity, society, in, in our corner of the world, in other parts of the world, there's this collective human experience that is a weariness. More people I talk to, all age ranges, are tired, right? Worn out. And there are people who are facing real situations, real challenge, but just even people who aren't maybe facing a, a, a radical crisis still have this sense of just, ugh, right? Of weariness. And if you look at even what we've been in the last few years, coming through a pandemic, coming out of the pandemic, there's kind of this feeling of back to normal, right? We're, we're, we're back to normal. We're, we're doing all the things we, we did before. But for some of us, maybe it just feels like there's a, a fog over it. There's, there's, it doesn't feel as quite as clear. Maybe it feels not quite as strong. Maybe you don't feel quite, you know, we're, we're back at church every single Sunday, but maybe I just don't feel as connected to the Lord. I feel a bit weary. God maybe feels a bit distant from me right now, and, and I just believe we're in an age of weariness, and I believe that this is coming from, if we look at where our world is and just the age that we live in, everything about how our society is set up is set up in a way to exploit us. We've created a society of consumers, and we have 
so push people to consume to the point where, as consumers, we are being consumed. You look at how we um, engage in relationships online. I love social media as a millennial. I was on the cutting edge of the internet and coming of age when the first social media sites and, and, and chatting online with people and, and creating online profiles and remember when Facebook was just getting started and, and all these different opportunities to connect with people online. But if you look at what is propping up these spaces online where we connect with each other, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, whatever your social media platform of choice is, where you keep up with your friends and you keep up with everybody and you wish everybody happy birthday and you like your, you, know, you, you get to see pictures of your grandkids and, and, and this person's kids and many beautiful things. I'm not, I, I love it. Like I, I love getting to share pictures of my kids. I love the whole expression. But if you look up at the, econ at, at the economics that props up the ability for you to be able to sign up for an account for free, right? Like you're not putting in any payment information for Facebook, right? For free, it is the, the economics behind it is one of driving consumerism because nothing in life is free. The ads that you scroll through in your feed are there for a reason because companies are paid. And, and, there's, a, and, and there's information that is taken from you, right? Like, like, a lot of people are just worried about, you know, um, you know, uh, I guess like big tech and, and government. Listen, if you have a Facebook page, if you have an iPhone, like th there's just so much that, that is known about you, your spending habits, all this sort of stuff, right? And so um, it just is what it is. It's the world that we're living in. And this information, this data is then used to target you with advertising so that you will just be one minute you're looking at, uh, you know, your friend's grandkids or some, a, a vacation photo. And then the next, you know, is, is, is those shoes that you really need. You got to have them, right? They're right there. And it's the ones that you've been looking at. And how did they know that I was looking at those shoes just last week? And they're right there. They're right in front of you, right? And so the economics behind our, even our, our community online is propped up by exploiting the information that can be harvested from us to then market to us, consume, 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 consume. And it just is. It, some of this is just, what can we do, right? Like, you know, we, we can't change this. And, and I know a good bit about this. I spent the first four years of, of, of my working life out of college doing this very exact th thing. I would help Companies advertise on social media platforms like Facebook and the like. I'm aware of how this works. And, it, and it's just a part of the economics of a consumerist society, and it will just keep growing and growing and going and going. And, but, but what I'm more concerned with at, at, at this stage of my life is how it, it wears at people and how it drives us to consume, to consume to the point where we are just exploited. You look at debt and how debt is just so easily accessible. There was a time, I don't remember, some of you remember, where to go get a loan, you walked to the bank, you know, that you had a relationship with the bank, and you put on your suit and your tie, and, and you went and you applied for a loan, right? And the person knew you, and there's this a relational exchange, whereas now you're a couple of clicks away from, on your phone or on your computer from, you know, uh, from, from any sort of credit card or any sort of thing. And I'm not, you know, getting into, I'm not trying to give you guys financial advice. Trust me, I'm not, this is not what this is about. I'm calling attention to the way in which our world seeks to exploit, exploit, 
exploit. And we have to be mindful of the way that it wears and it wears and it wears against us um, because we want to be resilient disciples of Jesus Christ moving forward. Many of us have been promised, were promised one kind of life, but we're living another life. And so we look at the way maybe our society promised us do X, Y, and Z, and, and you'll be happy and free and, and this and that, right? A lot of us, you know, we're told go to college. There'll be jobs just waiting for you on the other side. And on the other side was just lots of college debt and a housing market crash and the inability, you know, to, to buy a house. And so we, we have this asymmetry that is here's the life that I was promised but here's, here's the reality. And, and maybe at this stage in your life, you maybe feel like, man, I, the world kind of like, you know, isn't really playing fair. This is what I thought my life would look like. I feel like I was promised something else. So there's this weariness that begins to set in to us. There's interesting parallels between the 1970s and now. In the 1960s and 70s, there's a lot of social upheaval. There was all sorts of different economic challenges. There's all sorts of different, you know, um, globalism challenges. And, and there's a lot of things going on at the time. But those of you who lived during that time, and myself, is, I'm no historian, but I like to read and I like to understand stuff. You see that people responded during that time with a bit of creativity. There was, there was this kind of like push of, of, of creativity that began to happen in the 60s and 70s, and it birthed a lot of incredible movements. I love to even think about some of the Christian movements that began to be birthed out of the 60s and 70s, like the renewal movement that we share our history with here at Christian World Church, and the Jesus movement, and all these things that, that just begin to happen as, as people begin to look at the challenges that we were facing as a society, and how society was not really working to the betterment of humanity, and how we just begin to say, no, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to be resilient. We're going to lean in. We're, we're, we're going to come up with solutions. We're going to come up with, with, with ways in which to, to overcome this. And now there's similar problems but dissimilar responses where we're facing similar challenges in our world today. But there's this sense of like, I don't want to. I don't want to have to figure it out. Like, can you, just, can you just make it comfortable for me? Can things just be comfortable? It seemed like even coming through the pandemic for many of us, we were just clinging to how can we just be comfortable? We didn't really want to change. We just want to maintain comfort. And I think when we just become so obsessed with comfort, we become ripe for crisis. Because we become so, we, we worship the God of comfort. And when we worship the God of comfort, we have nothing to sustain us whenever crisis comes. So we have to lean in and move forward. I believe all of this leaves many today in and outside of our church. And the reason why I'm talking about this, I'm not trying to give any sort of history lesson. I'm, I'm not an economist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm just a guy who really loves Jesus and wants to preach the word of God to you today. And the reason why I highlight any of these things out in our world, not to even mention 
our, our political systems today, I think we could all agree that, that nobody's like just excited, you know what I mean, like about like our, 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 our politics today. Just like, man, those guys got it. Those, those guys, they got to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like I have full trust in what's going on, right? Like, let's go. You know what I mean? All sides. You know what I mean? Like nobody, it's like, where are the people who, 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 who are stand with truth and, and, and have creative change and, and are looking to, to, to bring solutions? You know, like we're just all dissatisfied and that's, that's left and right. You know what I mean? Like I'm across the political spectrum. Everybody's just kind of like, ah, I'm, I'm just sort of weary. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. And so the reason why I highlight a lot of this is I think what it's done for us spiritually the, of, of men and women of God, of people who, who, who are trying to, to follow Jesus in, in this day and age, who are trying to, to be disciples of Jesus Christ, it has left, left us with a spiritual starvation. And, and not, just, not just hunger, not just hunger, because see, when I'm, when I'm hungry, I will make a plan to do something about it. Or when I'm hungry, I'm able to trust that, well, I, I know what I'm having for lunch today, or, or I know what, what dinner will be, right? When I'm, when I'm hungry, I'm able to trust and be okay in the present because I know that there's a plan to eat, right? So my hunger may be like, you know, discomforting, but I'm able to trust, I'm able to be okay. Even in a physical sense, starvation is different. Starvation breaks you down from the inside and can make you apathetic and lethargic. Physically, your body begins to eat itself, begins to just take nutrients from wherever it can, and, and, and all of a sudden, nutrients start, don't get to your vital organs, and it reaches a place to where your heart just stops, and, and, and that's it if you don't receive any sort of, of nourishment. And so I believe that many people in our age are spiritually starved because the system of our world has consumed and exploited and so cut us off from the, from, from the source of life that is the Holy Spirit, that is God, that is Jesus. And many of us, who, we love Jesus. I'm, I'm not trying to, 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 to say the, of, of anything uh, uh, I have any sort of guilt in the room today or, or anything like that because I'm going to tell you something. Guilt will never bring us to change, will never bring us um, to salvation. It is the kindness of Jesus. And I believe that the kindness of God in this day and age is us recognizing how our world is an anti-creating world, is anti-human, and dehumanizes us so that we can lift our heads and behold the beauty of God in a way that nourishes us and i believe that because we are at such a place of exploitation and weariness that we've had we now must move beyond just just formation at times it's important we need formation we need discipleship we need bible studies we need small groups we need all of these things we need sunday morning services we need worship but what we are needing is what the people of god have needed throughout history and that is deliverance to be delivered from a system that just wants to cut you off from the nourishment that is in God. So we become spiritually starved, and, and, and when we become spiritually starved, it, we just, you know what I mean, like things just change. Like we lose our mental faculties, you know, physically whenever you're, you're reaching starvation. And so spiritually, 
I just see this, this longing. I believe that many of us were looking for an oasis. God, God, would you just come and would you just bring clarity? Would you bring freedom to me? Would you just bring me a sense of peace because I just feel so shaken. The things I thought I knew about the, the world, I thought I understood your promises. I, I thought I had some things figured out. I thought I was going on the right path, but something about this day and something about this time, I, I'm just confused. I, I don't quite get it. I don't see where I fit in with just the world today. I don't see where I fit in with your plan for redemption. And God, I'm, I'm, I'm just at this place where, where I just don't even understand. I, I, I wish I could say I was hungry because if I was hungry, God, I'd want to just really do all I can. But God, I'm just so starved that I'm weak and I'm weary and I'm worn down. And God, I just know that I need you. And so what do we do about it? Well, we don't need just an individual response. We need a collective response. It's, it's not just enough for you to individually just figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm going to make it happen. We need to collectively respond. Collectively as the people of God, collectively as Christian World Church, we must pursue God and must respond with action, with moving forward. Like I said, this is not simply solved by attending a Bible study or having a quiet time every morning. We need those things. Do not get me wrong. We need discipleship. We need services. We need Bible education. We need formation. But more than that, we need to be delivered from a system of living that seeks to dehumanize and exploit us. Thankfully, when we look to how do we move forward, what do we do about this as Christians living in 2023 we have the gift of Scripture, and we also have the privilege of understanding how people have sought to walk with God throughout history. Guess what? We, it's become a surprise, are not the first people to face crisis. America is not the first place to have challenges. We are not the first Christians to kind of get knocked in the mouth and, and, and kicked over and, and feeling a little bit disoriented, right? We can look at church history. We can look at, at, at and, and read scripture and see how people of God have navigated their context, their societies, their governments, their, their times, their, their periods of, of life and how they overcame and how they pursued God and how they moved forward. So we have to study and learn from the past and apply to our own present context. And in recent history, we find events, like I mentioned, in the 60s and 70s, like the renewal movement that our church finds a shared history with. And I love that we get to celebrate next weekend 50 years of Christian Renewal Church being a church here because we celebrate God's faithfulness all throughout this time. And, and, and it, it, it beckons us to, to consider these beginning years in 1973, when, when God was doing just this incredible thing, and I love reading about this time in this period in life, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, 60s and 70s, plenty of social upheaval, spiritual stagnation, church attendance amongst the boomer generation in the 1960s and 70s was declining, it was dropping, people were just sort of, you know, just 
church was just not something exciting during this time, but then there were some people of God. The Holy Spirit begins to fall. Charismatic renewal begins to happen, and all of a sudden, from across denominations, this almost ecumenical movement, this cross-denomination, people, Methodist and, and Baptist and, and Catholic and, and Anglican and Episcopal, all of a sudden just begin coming together and pursuing God and being renewed in this commitment and this pursuit of God, and, and God begins doing this incredible work and, and, and we're here today as a fruit of that time of people saying there's more. And, I'm, and, and I, I'm st- it feels like things are stuck, but we're going to find a way forward. And I'm thankful for the men and women of God throughout the 60s and 70s and for the men and women of God specifically who move forward in faith to say we, we're going to start meeting. We're going uh, we're, we're to hang out at the Jones Center and, and we're going to come together. We're going to worship Jesus together. And here we are gathering a Christian church 50 years later because some people said we're going to move forward. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep pursuing all that God has for us. We look even further back and we see events like the first and second great awakening here in America where we see entire communities completely turned upside down for the glory of God. The second great awakening, we see fueled abolitionist movements women's rights movements, the first co-ed college, Oberlin College, is started. Work with child labor laws begins to be started as a result of the Second Great Awakening. The revival led to the founding of colleges like Princeton and Dartmouth and Rutgers and other Ivy League schools. We see the Second Great Awakening as this incredible move of God in this time, in this period, that has this incredible social change, this incredible change all throughout life and all throughout history to different people. And, and, and churches grew, and missionaries were sent by the thousands. And what can we say about the radical move of God that we read about in the book of Acts in our earliest Christians? People who in this time were murdered for their faith, but they set out and they moved forward to carry the gospel in a world that was just completely at odds and at war with the message of Jesus. They moved forward. They moved forward. They moved forward. And so, we finally get to Exodus 14, where the Israelites, God's people, are enslaved in Egypt. They've been exploited. They've been starved. They've been in crisis. But they're now on the cusp of freedom. So, what do we learn from them? How do we move forward in deliverance when we may be weary and worn from the life that we've had to live individually and collectively. So in verse 10, we read again, Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them in great fear. The Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And we just pause for a moment right there. When we reach a place of of, of weariness and crisis, it can be our tendency to say, let me just go back. Let me go back to where things were. When God delivers us, and God has delivered the people, they're out of Egypt now. 
They're not fully in the clear, but they're out of Egypt. They've been delivered, and they're kind of saying, man, why don't you just let us stay? Why don't you just let us stay there? And when we reach this place of weariness and crisis, we can just sort of want to just run back to where we were. Because a lot of times we'll get set free, right? It's like, man, awesome. Life's doing great. But then there's sort of like this rebound that happens, right? Where the enemy maybe comes in, where something happens. It's like, oh, my gosh. Let me just go back. Let's just go back to Egypt. So the Egyptian, I mean, the Israelites in this time, they're kind of just like, why did you bring us out here to die? Like, let's just go back to Egypt. So Moses says to them, do not be afraid. Stand firm. See the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Now, if we stop right there, it seems like we'd have our answer for today, right? Be still. Chill out. Moses speaks to the people while they are frustrated and scared, and he tells them, hey, stand firm. God will fight for you. Just be still. Just relax. Just be still. It'll be all right. And we can read that, and and it seems like a great bit of encouragement, and, and it lines up with Scripture. And not only that, Uh, But for us today, it goes with the times that we're sort of in now, right? Like that feels like very comforting words for the age that we're in right now. A lot of us would love to hear, just be still, you know, do less, just relax, you know, like just kind of, you know, be still, slow down. Throughout the pandemic, I think many of us realized how overcommitted we were, and that was a gift. I think we realized that we were just, a lot of us were running around and just overcommitted, doing all this and that, and I think it helped us see maybe some of the important things because it forced us to slow down, whether we wanted to or not. We had to see maybe that, man, I I was doing too much. I was doing a lot, and I think that there's a gift in that, and I think we eliminated Maybe, hopefully, some of us eliminated some stuff. It's like, man, I just, I I am going to try to care for myself, take care of myself. But there is this temptation and this slippery slope for us to slide right into passivity, where we begin to become inactive, and we begin to become stagnated, where we just stagnate, and, and we stop. And so, be still seems like the simple answer for us in an age of weariness, and it seems enticing, like, like, be still? Okay, that sounds great. Let's go to lunch. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I am weary. I'm tired. I'm, cr- I'm facing crisis. I'm facing obstacle. If you're telling me just be still, God will take care of it. Let's do that. I'm out. Let's go, right? Sounds amazing. But the wisdom of God is not always as simple as that. And it's not always as neat and tidy and cute I mean, that's a great verse. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to keep still. Somebody's probably got that up on their wall in their kitchen or something. You know what I mean? That's a T-shirt. That's a great T-shirt line. You have only to keep still. That's what Moses said. The Israelites said, let's go back to Egypt. Moses says, guys, just, you know, stand firm. Don't be afraid. Be still. God will fight for you. But what does God say? What does God say to the Israelites, to Moses, to the Israelites? And what would God maybe say to us today? In verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, 
Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to move forward. Israelites want to run back. Moses says, be still. God says, move forward. Which one do we pick? I love the word for be still that's used here. It, it kind of beats to be silent or to be speechless. And so we're not talking about inact, being inactive or being passive. Moses is saying, quiet yourself. See how the Lord will fight for you. Be still. Be silent. Stop complaining. Stop worrying. Stop being afraid. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. You have only to be quiet. Shh, is what I feel Moses saying. <laughs> Guys, just shh. And God comes in with his command to go, move, carry on. And this go forward talk that we have here in the language of Hebrew is this idea of, 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 of picking up your tent pegs and going on a, on a journey. God's not just telling them like, just, just like go, like get on. God's saying like, no, carry forward. Set out on the journey that God has for you. God's saying to Moses, Moses, I hear you crying out, but what I want you to tell the people is to set out on the journey that I already have. I have a journey for you. Move forward in it. I have a plan and a purpose for you. Move forward in it. I know that you're scared. I know that you're weary. I know that you're afraid. I know that you're in crisis and your back's up against the wall, or in their case, the sea. But go forward and trust in obedience to me. Set out on the journey. Pick up your camp and move forward. It's time to go. Passivity is the option we must resist in our day. In our age of weariness, we must resist passivity, to be passive. The inclination to be passive is strong, but we must resist the temptation to quit, to coast, to, to, to let a life of passivity. A life of passivity is, is antithetical to the gospel. It, it does not coincide because the gospel is a gospel of, of action and of movement, of God towards us and us towards God. It's a co-laboring that we do with God. And so, so to just let go, to just give in, to just quit is not the gospel that we've been invited into today. It's not the gospel that Jesus walked out on the earth back then. And it's not what believers of, of God and followers of Jesus between then and now have been aiming to do to move forward in the, in, in the midst. We're not the first people to face challenge and, oppor and, 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 and opposition in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit with us. And we do need to be still. We do need to quiet ourselves. We do need to listen in and look for how the God will fight for us. That is true, but we also must move forward and we also must go and trust in God. God calls us out of passivity to move forward in his promises. C.S. Lewis writes in his letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, he says this, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend. In fact, 
to come awake, still more to remain awake. We must come alive, wake up, remain awake. It's time to move forward. In an age of weariness, in an age of opposition, in an age of frustration, in an age of crisis, we move on and we move on in hope. What happens in our weariness, what happens in our crisis is our hope is robbed for us. And as hope is robbed from us, we move into passivity, we move into stagnation, and we move into starvation. And so we must guard our hope, cling to our, we have a hope that is an anchor for our soul. And so we guard this hope and we move forward in hope by faith, trusting that God is with us and we move forward with him. And we have testimony of scripture. We have testimony of people throughout time who have done this very thing. And, and, and maybe it's worked out in, in the way that they wanted to. Maybe it hasn't, but God has been faithful nonetheless. And that is where we rest our hope. And that is where we put our trust. And that is where our worship is. We tell our weariness, we tell our crisis that Jesus is Lord of all. Matthew 11 says this, if we want to look at Jesus's words and how Jesus treats this idea of weariness. And Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, come to me, all, that you, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what I see in the scripture is I see the beautiful promise of rest, and I see this incredible promise of, of, of an easy yoke, right? But, but what we have to understand is that there is an invitation to come and that yes we we do serve a God who stepped down from heaven into earth who came to us and meets us in our place of brokenness but we have an understanding in the gospel that is an invitation that we come to him and that we approach Jesus and we take up his yoke it is still a yoke that we co-labor and it's not a yoke that we carry on our own but that Jesus carries with us and so I find rest in laboring with Jesus, and I find rest in coming to him. And so I can't just sit in passivity and just say, well, God, I don't know, figure it out. A lot of us know about fight or flight, right? Like in, in kind of intense situations, you know, there's kind of this tendency, they say fight, people will fight or flight, but there's a third one that's often talked about that usually gets people in trouble, and that's freeze. People just freeze. Like they don't, they don't fight, they don't run, they don't run back to Egypt, Right? They don't move forward in a fight. They just freeze. So we can't just freeze. We can't just stay paralyzed. We can't stay stuck. We gotta move forward. We gotta come to Jesus. Take up his yoke. Put it on, put it on. walk with him, labor with him. It's where we find our rest. It's in him, it's in Jesus. And we have this promise. We take up his yoke. I love taking things like this that feel very um, inspirational and, and maybe even just a bit, you know, encouraging and, and, and maybe a bit deep and love making it very practical and simple. And so I found an incredible example, and it's a story that I'm, we're going to play a video, it's just two minutes long, of a guy telling just some of his testimony about overcoming opposition in his life. And it's a man named John, and John uh, collects bottles in New York for his living um, and, and, and this is how he makes money for himself. And uh, John, you know, had all sorts of different legal troubles, um, you know, was married, but, but, you know, lost his wife, lost his kids, didn't get to see his grandkids, all because of his, um, his life choices, right? 
And so um, I love hearing the story of John of how he gave his life to Jesus and how he hasn't always done things right, but how he has overcome and, and the resiliency that I see in him and the joy that I see in him just to, to move forward in what God has for him. And I'd share this with you today to hopefully have us grab a picture that we are called to move forward in our area of life, in our everyday situations. And right in front of us, in our jobs, in our families, in our friend circles, in our community of Glen County, there's opportunities for us to move forward. That this isn't just something that we talk about in Scripture, or maybe we get excited about on Sunday morning, but it's something that impacts our Monday and our Tuesday and our Wednesday and our Thursday, that we would move forward in trust and hope in Jesus. So check out this story from John. Milton, I didn't expect to see you here. Tell me about your relationship with God. Woo! So there's a great scripture in the Word of God from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, For God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. What that means to me is before Genesis 1-1, He had already chosen those who He chose. I was called in June of 1993. I gave my life to the Lord. I was in jail. The three ladies came from the Bronx to preach. I just felt led in my spirit to say, Okay, I, I, I think you're telling the truth. I agree. I'll accept. Since 1993, which is 30 years ago, I've screwed up a million times. I've been used of God a million times, but I've screwed up a million times. And I've come to the conclusion after 30 years that truly, truly God knew who I was and what I was going to do and what I was going to become. And He knew I would pick up cans one day before it ever happened. That scripture helps me to realize that when I fail, you know, don't please or do the things of God. He still loves me. He still cares for me because he chose me in Christ. He seated me at his right hand in heavenly places. I'm seated there right now, whether I deserve it or not. Is that hope you have for the future something you hold on to now? It's difficult, but I've seen so many miracles and so many spiritual things that I firmly with all my heart believe that God is real. And therefore, I believe His promises in the Word and I stand on them. I don't deserve it, but thank God for His grace, you know? Hola, Amanda. That's my friend Amanda. Eric, Hi. it didn't come out yet, love. Count your stuff. Milton's coming back in 15 minutes. John, here's a question for you. Talk to me. When you get to heaven, what are you going to ask God? I, why'd you choose me? <laughs> like, who am I? That you, cho <laughs> you chose me. <laughs> so I can walk on the streets made of gold. You got a house with me up there? Look at those streams and rivers and angels. Oh, it's good to go. I'd be so, I couldn't stop smiling down here. I'm going to stop smiling up there. <laughs> what do you think he would say of you? You could have did so much better. I had so much more for you. You big dummy. <laughs> what do you have to say to someone who's trying to believe in God but can't? Simplest answer ever. I heard it from a young boy. God, 15 seconds of your time. Bow down and say, Lord, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Speak to me. I could keep you here all day, Eric, with stories. My God has been great to me. And I appreciate you coming around to encourage me and invigorate me again about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> How are we doing, ladies? How's life? Great. Isn't that beautiful? Um, just incredible, just someone, just, uh, just normal person, walking with God, laboring with Him, finding the beauty 
in the world around him. I mean, somebody who their job is just is collecting bottles and, and trash and but just finding the beauty in life. And, and this is where I would land for us as, as we end and, and as we sing in the time of worship is in a time of weariness, in an age of, of okay, and, and, and figuring out how do I move forward? Because some of you are saying, you know, Mark, I'm tired. I, I'm frustrated. I am worn out. I am facing opposition. How do I move forward? And I believe that it begins in this place of, of, of trust with God. And it, and it starts in this place of, Finding the beauty, beholding the beauty of Jesus, seeing what wondrous things he has done for us, and, 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 and thanking God for his grace, for how he has worked in our lives. And we start in this place, and, and see, you know, if we back up from the story that we've been in in Exodus chapter 14, and we go back to chapter 2, um, we see the Israelites crying out for deliverance. They are in captivity, and they're crying out for the deliverance that they end up trying to walk out in Exodus 14. And what we read in chapter 2, verse 24, no, verse 23, it says this, After a long time the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned, it says they groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. And in verse 24, it says, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in verse 25, God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. And I see four things here that helps me to trust God's character. That helps me to see the beauty in the God that we serve and helps me to move forward. And that's these four things that God heard, that God remembered, that God saw, and that God knew. That God heard their cry, and he remembered his promises and his faithfulness to them and his covenant to them. And, and that God saw their condition, and he saw the place that they were in, and God knew their condition and knew what they needed. And so I say to each and every single one of us today, and I invite you all to stand to your feet as we go into a time of worship and respond to what God is doing in our lives today. I, I just, I ask that you would call attention to God's character and how God hears and how God remembers and how God sees and how God knows. God knows your story and God sees your story and God hears your cries and he hears your tears and God will, is a God who remembers his faithfulness and his promises to each and every single one of you today. He did then and he does now. He remembers, he hears, he sees. God knows and so we can trust God and we can pursue him, and we can move forward in the grace that he has for us. I hope that each and every single one of us in an age of weariness would be brought to a place of prayer. See, what preceded every move of God that, that we briefly mentioned and all the ones that weren't mentioned from the renewal movement to the first and second great awakening to, to the book of Acts and, and all that God did in the early church to even what the Israelites are experiencing right now in this, book, in, in this text in the book of Exodus, is it's preceded by people of God crying out, travailing in prayer, 
groaning out to God to, God, to, to, to communicate and tell God where their area of need is. And what our world needs today is we do need a move of God and we do need God to move in an awakening like he has before. But what we need is people who are willing to sow seeds of prayer into that happening. The people who will sow seeds into God moving and will, and will cry out for it and will travail for it. And, and like we sung earlier, we're about to sing again, we, to say, God, I make room for you to do whatever you want to in my life. I make a space for you and I say that your way is better than my way. Will, we, will you pray with me even now? And I just invite you to respond to the message today by lifting up your cry to God, your area of crisis, your area of, witness, of, of weariness, that you would groan, that you would travail today, that you would just express the area of frustration that you have, of disappointment that you have, the area where you need God to deliver you, that you would cry out this morning to our God and allow Him to, to comfort you with His grace and with His peace that He says He sees you and He knows you and He remembers His promises to you. So would you pray with me this morning? And as I pray, I just encourage you to begin to go ahead and lift up your prayers to God and say, God, we trust you and we need you. And God, we ask that you would move in our world today, in our society today, God, and that you would break off any of, of the enemy's plans to, to, to rob from us and to steal from us and to kill us, God. And we just ask, Father God, that you would deliver us and deliver your people, Jesus, that you would deliver those, God, that you have called into your, into your relationship with you, Father God. And Lord, I pray that you would set people free from the oppressive systems of our world, Father God, and the areas where they're being exploited, God. And I pray for individuals in our church, Father God, those who are facing sickness in their life, Father God, those who are facing economic challenges, Lord, I'm asking, Lord, that you would deliver them. And I'm asking God that you would comfort them. And I'm asking God that you would give them the strength that they need to move forward in boldness, Father God. And so right now we cry out to you, Jesus. And we just ask God that you would move on our behalf. God, and we make movements towards you, Father God. And we ask that you move towards us. Part the Red Sea. Part the Red Sea for us, God, and we will move forward, God. We trust you, and we walk in obedience to you, Father God. We listen to you, Jesus. We listen for your word. God, we love you, and we thank you, and we make room for you. Your way is better, Father God. Break our tradition. Break our religion, God. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you even now, Father God. Just begin to worship the Lord. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, Father God.